Hello and good afternoon from downtown Tyler, Texas. This is Bill Allen continuing our Facebook studies as we look at a couple of different devotional books. On Thursdays, we're looking at one by Timothy and Kathy Keller on the Psalms. And on Tuesday, such as today, we're looking at the classic My Utmost for His Highest, written by Oswald Chambers. That's such an interesting story that his wife put together his writings and lectures and from her shorthand notes uh, after he uh, had passed away. So you may want to Google that story sometime and read it. It's kind of interesting. My utmost for his highest gives a little bit of information about that. Uh, but uh, as we begin today, we are in um, this week's readings. And as you know, I don't do all seven days on Tuesdays and Thursdays, but try to highlight a part or parts of that study. And, and today we're going to be looking specifically uh, at some of the readings over the last few days, starting on January 16th, um, and really starting with Isaiah chapter 6. In these uh, few lessons here, um, Oswald Chambers has much to say about God's calling us and also how we respond and the service that we give. And I got to tell you, going in, uh, some of the, his thoughts I'm not sure that I quite agree with. As he talks, he makes a very strong uh, statement about the call of God depends on God's nature and our response and our serving him really depends on our nature. And, um, and I think that that's uh, kind of an interesting thought. I, I don't disagree with him, but there are some things about that that make me a little bit nervous. But let's go to the text first of all. Isaiah 6 is the passage. You're familiar with it, very likely. It's the call of Isaiah. And it really is a wonderful uh, experience that we all share, either uh, directly or indirectly, with Isaiah. Some of us have an experience very much like his and others of us uh, perhaps not quite so. And when I say very much like his, I mean we hear a very distinct call. We look at our lives and we see a, a very distinct need for healing and forgiveness from God. And for some of us, that's more dramatic than others. Isaiah's is very dramatic. <laughs> and so in Isaiah 6, starting at verse 1, I love the way it starts. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah was a prophet, and he was in the 8th century, the 700s BC. Um, and uh, it was a time where he was in Jerusalem and, and preaching in, in, uh, uh, in Jerusalem, or at least there living. And then he receives this call, and it happens in the year that King Isaiah died. And what happens is he sees this vision of God on the throne. It's like God was telling him, look, I'm the one that's on the throne. All of the upheaval that you see in the land of uh, Judah, the southern kingdom of Judah, and Jerusalem, its capital, uh, all of that is secondary to the fact of who you should see who is actually on the throne of heaven. And that is God. And he speaks about those angels that were there all around him and what they were doing and how they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Some great songs written from that. It takes us forward to Revelation chapters 4 and 5 as we read those same kinds of words in, in John's vision in Revelation as well. Uh, verse 4 says, At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. 
Verse 5, Woe to me, Isaiah cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah had a vision of God on the throne, and I realize we won't have that same direct vision uh, in a literal sense, but we should all see the Lord God on the throne. And when we do, we should have the same response that Isaiah had, and that was repentance. We recognize God's holiness, his power, his greatness, and we realize our own sinfulness and our own humanity. And it forces us to our knees in penitence, and it forces us to cry out to God and say, God, I, I'm as good as dead because I can in no way be in your presence. And that's really what Isaiah came to understand. Verse 6, Then one of the seraphim, one of the angels, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. It's a great story, and you have to know a little bit about some Old Testament history to really get all of the benefit from it. But when a person under the Old Testament law was a leper, they were when they saw someone coming, they had to cover their mouths and raise their hand and shout out, unclean, unclean, so that whoever was coming at them would know that this person has a very communicable disease. We understand that a little bit more post-pandemic, post-COVID, perhaps, than we did before. But that's exactly what the Old Testament law called for. And it's what Isaiah calls himself. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. I'm a leper in the eyes of God. Before a holy God, I'm a leper. And all the people are leprous as well. We, we have no right to stand before God. We are ruined. We are sentenced to death. And so the angel takes the, the, uh, uh, some of the fire from the altar and touches his mouth with it, basically carterizes him, I guess you could say, and says, pronounces that he has been healed and he has been forgiven. Now note what comes next. Verse 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. What a great statement from Isaiah. He recognized his own sinfulness, his own sentence of death. He recognized God's forgiveness. In spite of his holiness, in spite of Isaiah's sinfulness, God forgave him. And now God looks around, and Isaiah, and, and I like the way Oswald Chambers says this, Isaiah kind of overhears it, because God isn't talking to Isaiah. It's like he's just talking, and Isaiah overhears it. And God is saying, well, I need to send somebody. Who, who shall we send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah raises up his hand and says, here am I, Lord, send me. And I think that's the right response. When we are struck with God's holiness and our own sinfulness, this is how we should respond. We should respond, first of all, with repentance, recognizing God's great holiness and, and perfect nature and our sinfulness and uh, our deserving of death. The wages of sin is death, Paul says in Romans 6, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So just like Isaiah was healed of his leprosy of sin, and uh, had that sentence of death commuted, we too have been sentenced to death because of our sin, and yet the grace of God uh, has given us this great gift of eternal life through the blood of Jesus Christ our Lord. And now, interestingly enough, and this is where we now get to the call part of all of this, 
uh, God is saying the same thing today. Who will, who will go for us? Who can we send? Who will do the task that needs to be done? And that's when we also should be lifting our heads and saying, here am I, Lord, send me. Now, God tells Isaiah in the rest of chapter 6, as you likely know, it's going to be hard. They're not going to listen. They're going to be stubborn. They're going to refuse to listen, but I'm sending you anyway. Just as Jesus sends us into the world, John 17, in that great prayer, he says, I, I've sent these disciples into the world, and the world has hated them, just like it hated me. And, and he later on goes on and prays for those who will hear the message from those disciples. And so we, too, are sent into a world that hated Jesus, hated his disciples, and at times and in many ways will hate us as well, just like Isaiah heard that distressing <laughs> message. And yet, like Isaiah, we need to answer the call. Here am I, Lord, send me. Even if it's going to be tough, I know, Father, that if you want me to go, that you will take care of me and see me through. Well, and so that's the, that's the calling part. And uh, I love what uh, Chambers says. He says, the majority of us cannot hear anything but ourselves. But to be brought to the place where we can hear the call of God is to be profoundly changed. Again, Isaiah, it, it's, maybe it's, it, it happened that way, and Isaiah just writes it differently. But it seems like from the narrative in Isaiah 6, he just overhears God saying, hey, who will go for us? We've got a task. Who, who's, who's ready? And Isaiah says, I will go. And that's, that's how it works. God blesses us. God healed Isaiah. He saved his life. He did not uh, uh, sentence him to death. And then Isaiah responded by graciously serving. And I think that's what we do. We, we receive that blessing. As Paul says in Romans 12, Therefore, in view of God's mercies, let us offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. It's, it's that indicative imperative. The indicative is what God has done for us already without any, any responsibility on our part. He has sent his son, Jesus Christ, and has given his life for us. And, and the imperative is, okay, how will we respond? We receive that uh, forgiveness by the response of faith based on the blood of Christ. That's one thing, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about our tasks of service and ministry that we do to show our love for what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And so uh, Oswald Chambers makes that distinction as well. And he says, the call of God is an expression of his nature. The service which results in my life is suited to me and is an expression of my nature. And that statement really helped me out a lot to understand where he was coming from and what I think scriptural teaching is. Uh, throughout the New Testament, we hear that, that call that says we're saved by grace through faith, but then it gives us that call, as Romans 12 said, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me in giving your life to serve others in obedience to Jesus Christ. And that's what Romans 12 says, that living sacrifices perhaps Unfortunately, there are some in this world that actually face physical death because of their faith, and we pray for them. And uh, thankfully, in our nation, so far, that's not the case. But we do know that if it came to that, would we be willing to do that? And even if it never comes to that, which we pray it won't, 
The question is, are you living for Jesus now? Have you given your life to him? Uh, Chambers talks about uh, having a funeral to where you die to sin in Romans 6 language. You're buried with Christ and you're raised to live a new life. The old self is put away and buried and the new life in Christ is raised. Just like in baptism, you go all the way under the water and you're raised up out of the water. And you're raised up, according to Romans 6, to live a new life. That passage is definitely talking about baptism as a part of the response of faith. And it's given as a reminder to the Christians at Rome uh, who had all done that. And now they were thinking, well, if we're saved by grace, then why do we have to do anything anymore? Let's just live it up in sin and make the blood of Christ worth something. And Paul says, no, 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 you can't do that because that's not who you are. Now you're living a new life. You've been raised out of that water of baptism, forgiven to live a new life. Your hand is in the air saying, here am I, send me. The question is, where does God send us? And what does he call us to do? And I think that's the part, as uh, Chambers says in these chapters, that is suited to me and is an expression of my nature. I think that that's based, you, it's uh, something about using your gifts in service to the Lord and to others. You take a look and see what you're good at, what you enjoy, what your passions are, and you try to find a place where you can serve in the Lord's church in that way. But you also look at something else. You also look at where the needs are. And that means that there may be some times where you step up like Isaiah said, did, and you say, here am I, send me. I, I, I may not be the best one at this, but I'm willing to do it. And the Lord will help me through that. Again, I think overall, God calls us and uses us in the areas where he's most gifted us to serve in his church. That's what Romans 12 says, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, Ephesians 4, and other passages. But we also know that we're called to serve wherever God leads us and wherever the needs of the church are, wherever the needs of people are, we can help. Uh, Some of Chambers' thoughts in this area are so good. Service is the overflow which pours from a life filled with love and devotion. Again, it's that indicative imperative. He gives us salvation through Jesus Christ. And so service and serving others is the overflow of thanksgiving and gratitude and love. Service is what I bring to the relationship. And as a reflection of my identification with the nature of God, service becomes a natural part of my life. Uh, We love doing it. We're glad to do it. It's a blessing. We're grateful. Just like Isaiah shot his hand shot in the air and he said, here am I, send me, and was very thankful to do it, even though it meant uh, decades, really, of suffering and of people refusing to listen. At times, perhaps they did, such as King Hezekiah, but at many of the times they did not. Jeremiah the same. Jeremiah lived four decades preaching the Lord, uh, the Lord's will, and the people refused to respond and to listen. Um, I serve him on my own out of a motivation of absolute love. That's the motivation. Service to God is the deliberate love gift of a nature that has heard the call of God. Again, we hear that call. We respond in faith and are saved, and then we begin a life of service and ministry uh, out of love and gratitude. Service is an expression of my nature, and God's call is an expression of his nature. He calls us because that's who he is, and he calls us to live and to serve. He calls us to be saved and to receive that salvation that comes through Jesus Christ by responding in faith, believing 
repenting of our sins, confessing that faith and being baptized to put that old self to death and to be buried with Christ in baptism and then to be raised to live the new life. His divine voice resounds throughout his nature and mine and the two become one in service. How well put. The Son of God reveals himself in me and out of devotion to him, service becomes my everyday way of life. I hope you can find your place in God's church and in that community doing his will. And I hope you will respond to the great love and blessing and salvation that God has given you. By hearing that call, who will go for us? Who will we send? Who is up for the task? And responding, here am I, Lord. Send me. I'll see you on Thursday.